to Setting History Straight with Linda Watson. Okay, so hello everyone and welcome to our show. And we have Curtis Reed with us. Curtis, how are you doing? Good, Linda. How are you? Just uh, busy, busy finalizing the move. Now we're back in, uh, we're on the North American side, so we're setting up and uh, trying to get the get the ship restabilized. And hopefully, over the next three or four weeks, we'll get back to <laughs> being able to be in a some assembly of order and. Leave the leave the chaotic things that come with uh, moving internationally. Yeah, can, I can imagine it has to be an ordeal. So we are still continuing our sessions that we have been doing on prophecy. We've been talking about the Great Deception, and the, and I think your series you have that we've been that we've been covering is called Messiah Deception. And yeah, the Messiah Deception. So we're going to start talking about the Great Deception Mystery Babylon. Yeah, well, we just we need to touch on this. One of the things is to get a little bit of a an understanding of what Mystery Babylon is. The physical is always a manifestation of the spiritual, and the Scripture is talking about Mystery Babylon. Um, we're talking about an ancient, ancient a spiritual deception that has been coming right through the ages. And so we're just experiencing the modern manifestations of this. And, of course... The one of the deceptions can be from you know uh, from Hasatan or an adversary position is to try and make it all about the physical, and when you do that, then you can kind of can put it in its little box, and then you can get all these kinds of things that can start to then be playing with prophecy. And what it does is it just it, it muddies the water, it confuses things. You never understand what it is, and everybody's running around chasing their tail. And and so a part of this series is is me just trying to take people back and go look, mystery Babylon is not one physical manifestation. It is much greater and much bigger than that. And to try and get people now into a prophetic understanding as we head in that we need to get a handle that the adversary has been working uh, right across the religious spectrum. And this is something where everybody likes to be in their little label or their camp, and therefore it's everyone else who's deceived or being deceived. And Scripture's actually talking on a much bigger scale. If we don't come out of her, we don't get out of Mystery Babylon, any religious label or a movement, denomination, whatever it is that people have been involved with, is essentially under this deception. And this is a very serious thing that uh, is in Scripture, and this is what will ultimately relate or climax in the final grand finale of the great delusion you know we're instructed you and i linda and anyone else who's in this program is we're instructed to come out of this thing called mystery babylon well if you don't think you're in mystery babylon or have been infected by it you're not going to be coming out of it are you no we all basically lived under the rule of mystery babylon yeah, uh, scripture is very clear that, uh, you know, Hasatan or the, the office of adversary is the ruling governance, uh, or uh, God of this world, if you want to have it in any English transliteration. It means it. It means nothing that is occurring on earth isn't being touched by this. And so, but we need to know that when it says that the Hasatan is God of this world, it's actually telling the truth. 
And Elohim is allowing him to touch all these things because if we are to pursue truth and hunger and thirst for righteousness, if we are really truly to do this and enter into repentance, then any form of what she has taken in any path on our seeking and to understand truth, the Ruach will break through any of the hostile jamming. Yeah. So just in our country, uh, it basically rules the government. We know that. It's in the, the people who have this spirit of mystery Babylon, they would be governing on a judicial level also. It's taken over our education system. It's taken over the media. We see that, right? It's taken over Hollywood and all the movies. And and it's also taken over the, our financial systems. And so really and truly, when you stop and think about it, there's nothing left except the people. The system is infected. The secular world or atheism or whatever you want to believe it or agnostics or whatnot, that is all still mystery Babylon. And this is what people don't realize. You see, an atheist, an agnostic, uh, an unbeliever is still in mystery Babylon. There's nothing she is not touching. It is a spiritual matter that is playing out physically. So nothing we see physically, as the examples you just gave, or any of the world religions are not touched by her. And this is where we need to understand how big this really is. This is the reality of, of what scripture is talking about. And that's why, you know, when atheists sort of, you know, they think they're outside the religious realm. Well, they might be from a modern day label perspective, but they certainly aren't from a spiritually biblical perspective. Yeah. And, you know, Curtis, when you start reading the, these books, uh, the books of the prophets, it plainly tells you that they move away from religion that they're moving toward a secular secular viewpoint, they don't want religion. And that's what's coming down. And that's, yes. that is a part of the great delusion. They, you know, this whole thing is about self, right through the religious spectrums as well as the unbelieving spectrums. Take the throne of your life. And this is this whole accusation that comes that Hasatan or the office of the adversary is putting everybody in the same position of what he was ultimately accused of and aspiring or taking the position of the throne. And so um, the way that Elohim has allowed this to occur is, is, you know, we're in the test. We're not in the the final goal or dream or or um, the reason for why we experience this thing called life of Elohim. We're in the actual sifting, the testing. And, you know, you and I will not be allowed to live in this physical state infected by Mystery Babylon forever. We're both sentenced to die. And so is everyone else. The, the delusion comes is when you don't understand that you are operating according to her seduction. However that may manifest, whether it be a Richard Dawkins claiming atheism and evolution and whatever else he wants to look at it, you know, or somebody's claiming panspermia and the aliens have come to, you know, they've seated us or whether somebody is in whatever religious format, everybody is under this. And this is the thing that I had to get my head around and understand what scripture was talking about. The deception of Hasatan is very clear in scripture. The whole world, the whole earth. So Zechariah 2 tells us the same thing that you're talking about here. Zechariah 2 verse 7. It says, deliver thyself, O Zion. Now Zion in, in these books and in Jeremiah 31, it tells you Zion is the outcast. Those are the people that don't fit in. That's me and you, hopefully. And and it says, <laughs> well, within the daughter of Babylon. Yep. So 
you know, so it, it, this is a system that we're supposed to try and come out of, but... That's what it's saying. She's the mother of harlots. <laughs> it's saying, you know, the ones that are going to come out of her and be a part of coming back into the house of Israel will ultimately reject whatever flavor that they've been deluded under. They will ultimately make the choice to come out of that. And they think government is going to save them. I think the greater deception is not actually the secular governments at all. I think the greater deception are those who are believers that are sitting inside whatever various religious uh, dogma and Talmud and religious labels and badges or movements are under. The greater deception comes from the ones claiming it. You know, I, I think really atheism and agnostic is, is really like a dumping ground. You've lost your faith or you've done whatever, that just becomes a dumping ground and people think they're out of it and they're still in it. You know, it's, a, it's like a big washing machine of delusion and, and it's the whole earth. It's all inhabitants. The, often the stronger delusion I have found is comes with believers because everybody believes their camp is the one that's not deluded. And that is the delusion. <laughs> no, you are. And and we need to come out of her. And this is why it's a very serious message, a very difficult message for many believers to have. And it requires repentance. And often it will require fires in our life to finally go, okay, I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm, I'm going to stop defending Elohim. Elohim doesn't need our defense. I'm going to stop defending my religious label or badge or my Talmud or the way I've learned prophecy or the all of this, we feel we have to rise up and defend what we believe instead of seeking truth. But that requires repentance. It requires us truly turning to him and his ways and actually acknowledging that we've been in a spiritual seduction. And it doesn't matter even if that spiritual seduction is atheism. That is a spiritual seduction. And so this is why no one gets off the hook in this discussion, if you will. And, and, and that's why a lot of believers, they don't want to listen to it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to believe that it could possibly have happened to them or be them until they get to some point in their life when now they're almost losing their faith. Been there, done that. Or, yeah, I used to believe in God. Or I used to be a whatever, or this or that, and anything else. And you see what happens. What they don't really, um, really understand what the word is saying is, were you ever really in truth? in the fullness of understanding it through the eyes of repentance. That doesn't mean that all of these bits and pieces of how Mystery Babylon plays out doesn't all have truth in it. They do. They all do have elements of truth. The problem is, is the final pictures they paint. And so what we do is because we know there's inherently truths that we know and understand, i.e. the blood of Messiah that's bought us, i.e. the covenants, you know, found in the, in the Tanakh and the renewing of these covenants in the Bernadette of the New Testament, um, understanding that, you know, his ways are not done away. We know these as truths. It's very hard for us to accept, even though we know these truths, that somehow I'm still deluded. You know, that's why the first thing he does in the book of Revelations is address the seven churches. And all churches fit right. in one of those seven categories. Because yeah. the whole point is to bring them back. This is the believing Kahol. And he's saying to them, you guys are, are, are in a washing machine of delusion and struggling. Okay, Philadelphia and particularly has got a good report card. But... But basically, what it's really saying is, this is my kahal, these are my people, it's being represented in the uh, a menorah, a seven candlestick, and it's actually saying that, look, all of you are going to be required to overcome, all of you, 
And it doesn't matter what flavor you have. The whole way that Hasatan has weaved so much division in the body and 30,000 plus Christian denominations and goodness knows what's going on in the Messianic in Hebrew camps and in the Jewish camps. And then you got Islam, you got, you know, Hinduism and you've got Buddhism, you've got all these other things. You're starting to see all of this stuff is just a part of breaking people apart. And so we um, we base our faith on our walk with others based on religious dogma or dominant denominational stance. Like I often get, you know, people who come to me and they'll go, oh, what's your mission statement? And it makes me laugh in a grieving sort of way. What do you mean, what's my mission statement? Where did you ever think that that was of scripture? Let me give you the scriptures. In which, let me give you Deuteronomy 6 and the Shema. Let me give you, John, you know, and, and, and understanding the blood. Messiah. Let me give you what he's saying. Why are you possibly sitting here making your faith based on on a mission statement? As if that mission statement, not subject, and the religion of the badge or movement or denomination behind it does not have any leaven in it. Why do we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Well, to get this leaven out of our house, to know it's there. And so when I see people still playing a lot of these Christian games, you know, and, and it's incredible. You see, what does the blood mean? It means that uh, Messiah came, and yes, he died for us. It's all about you perfectly fulfilling Torah. But I don't know anybody on the face of the earth that fulfills Torah, that honors Torah, except one I read about in the Brit Hadashah. His name was Yeshua HaMashiach, and he was our Messiah. He's the only sinless lamb I know of, and sin is defined as honoring the fathers, you know, or breaking the Torah is actually the definition of sin scripturally. So I only know of one that ever achieved that. And so you, so when I say something about the blood of Messiah, what does that mean? What they think something is, as opposed to this is what it says. It says, he said, he means what he says, says what he means. Now let's go on the journey of understanding what that truth is. Because there can only be one truth to what this word has just stated. There can't be a thousand ways to entertain it that inherently is cannibalizing any respectable definition of truth. <laughs> so, yeah. to, you, you, know, you know what I mean? And so we're, we're on this journey now of going, okay, I know this is what it says. So if the blood of Messiah is covering my life right now, what does it actually mean? Everything Mystery Babylon's doing is just, let's just break this apart and make sure that nobody's in discipleship, nobody's talking or communicating. Let's just get our labels, our badges out there, our mission statements, whatever it is, and then welcome to a world that's watching a kahal cannibalize itself, attack itself, shoot itself, you know, destroy itself in front of their very eyes. And then everybody and every one of them are looking at an unbelieving person going, well, you know, why don't you want God? Well, uh, that becomes no. real obvious, doesn't it? This thing is split and split and split. Yeah. And, and, and we, we as believers or claim to be, we are the ones. You know, we are the ones to do this. We are the ones that need to repent that we may become the right ambassadorship of the faith. Well, this is a journey to understand the faith. But if we don't believe what it says, and I've got up here on the screen, I'm, I'm referring to Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, 11 to 12. And it says, therefore, Yah, Yah sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Now, do we get our head around this? Is that Hasatan that is sending the delusion? No, it's the Father's sent ah, the delusion. So we got to contend with this. Why would he allow such a thing? He created the office to Babasari. He's created, he's, it's even telling you 
This is the understanding of the early Kahol, the disciples that walked closest. They knew their Tanakh. They could quote you the Torah, and they walked with Yeshua in the flesh. And they are telling us something here. Why are we all of a sudden given Hasatan the credit for this stuff? Because if we can make it all about the boogeyman, we're not going to understand that there is a much greater thing being played here. And this is where all these silly doctrines and everything start coming in. And eventually, by the time we're done with it, we, we make Satan an Elohim. And it's exactly what's his claim. I will be just like Elohim by the time I'm done with this. We're making him omnipresent. We're putting him up on a you know, We basically made this a boxing match between Elohim, the creator of the universe, and a part of his creation. Well, this is ridiculous. But we've elevated it to this as if it's this big struggle against good versus evil. No, Elohim is in control. He created and allowed evil and good. He is outside his creation. We better get this. So we better understand this from a true biblical perspective. But we bought into the Hollywood, the new age, good versus evil, the boogeyman, Satan, the gods of a man with a white beard sitting on a cloud, all of this kind of stuff. And people go, oh, no, 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 that's not what I'm doing. And I, and I have to often say, well, look, if we're just honest with ourselves, yes, it is. Because you've got leaven in your house. I don't know what image you have made Elohim in your own mind. Only you truly know that, and, and Elohim does. So I'm not here to try and bash people with that, or nor to say that I'm outside of that in some self-righteous perspective. But what I'm trying to say is I myself had to realize I had made him in my own image. And I had to repent of this in order that I may actually receive what the, what the life, the living word was actually going to do to change my understanding and to open my eyes and my ears. And so it goes on to say, in order that they may be condemned, who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What defines righteousness? We call it the Old Testament, or more in particular, the Torah, the first five books of what we call the Old Testament, or the total of the, the prophets and the Torah being the Tanakh. And this is what it's literally saying, that they would not believe truth that they would have pleasure in unrighteousness. Well, much of Christianity is taking pleasure in unrighteousness, believing that the Father and his ways has been done away with. Right. Do you really, do we, can we see what we're, do you see what I'm getting at? It's telling us this. You don't know Torah's truth. And if you don't know that the Torah is defining righteousness, and you're now reading this, in the New Testament, as a Christian who's had no foundation, let's say, or a lot of found, no good foundation, no solid foundation been put in their life, then they're going to make up that belief whatever they want. Oh, unrighteousness. Well, unrighteousness is when I run through a stop sign. No. That's being unrighteous in the eyes of whatever law or country you might be in, for sure. But this is referring to the unrighteousness of Elohim and his ways. So we don't get to make this up. We need to let Scripture define Scripture and define itself. There was no New Testament that they were walking around with 2,000 years ago. So when it's talking about the Word, it's what we would think of as the Old Testament. So we need to read this in context. Isaiah says identically the same thing, Isaiah 29, verse mm -hmm. 30. It says, the Lord has poured out upon the spirit of a deep sleep and has closed your eyes. And so yeah. that's pretty much exactly. But that's everybody else, Linda. That's not you and me. <laughs> we all have a piece of it, right? <laughs> this, yeah. is, 
And this is what I'm going to be proposing, right? So you and I don't get off the hook in this. And so we're, you know, we're playing some little self-righteous games. But, and in fact, often uh, from a teacher's perspective, often the harder thing is actually trying to get this message truly through to teachers. Because often that's the hardest position in which to really acknowledge this because often this can take revisiting what we think we know, you know, or what if we've put books out? What if we put DVDs out? What if we, you know, you know, and so all of a sudden it's a very difficult position for in particular those who are with all the best of intent, with all trying to work this through, but have put stuff out there. And so it's a very difficult thing for, for my brothers and sisters that have engaged or have tried to, share truth as best as they've understood it over the years. Um, and so this is why I don't want to attack those people. But at the same time, I can't change this message for them, if that makes sense. I, I, can't, I can't water it down. I couldn't water it down for me. And so I live with this understanding every day now. Even as we do this program, I am subject to this understanding. <laughs> and yeah. so I've had, I've had to learn that. This is, this is very real. And um, there's a fear of Elohim, a, a healthy one that I have in regards to when we do programs like this or when I'm teaching or sharing at a conference or, or whatever it might be, you know, that we, we should not think of ourselves as greater than another, that uh, we, we, we should be operating in this space where we're truly trying to serve one another and that I am the least of my brethren in the room that I'm with, you know. Um, and so this is the place because if we don't stay in that place, we could start entertaining Nicolaitism or putting ourselves above others which is a system of what, you know, the religious systems and dogmas are built upon, which Yeshua himself said he hated because it literally entertains the great delusion. That's what it does. And then ultimately we end up chasing man instead of pursuing Messiah thing. And so I think there's a lot of responsibility on the teachers right now to acknowledge this if for all of us and you know, we need to pray and encourage and respect those who are standing up and are trying to share the truth as best that they understand it along with this journey and as best as they've been called to um, to walk with them, not not just attack and tear them down. But at the same time, they also have to do that too, acknowledge it within themselves. They have drank that wine from that cup, which it talks yeah. about in Jeremiah 25. He said, I'm going to... I'm going to put this cup of fury out there for you, and all mm. of you are going to drink it. Mm. And so, and so the drinking of that cup is is this Babylon that we're talking about here, and all our pieces and her, and how she has just infiltrated everything: the education system, the spiritual realm, the government. It's all been infiltrated by Satan. It is his system that he set up, mm. and it's been filtered down to us and. It's actually out of control at this point. It's, yeah, and it's prophesied to be. I mean, there's full, Mystery Babylon is in full bloom right across the earth. It won't matter whether you're, uh, you know, an unbelieving atheist working a secular job for some government institution. You're ultimately still a part of the spiritual deception. Whether they understand or believe that or not. Because nothing going on on the earth right now is not subject to the spiritual deception of Mystery Babylon. So it just doesn't matter what flavor it takes. But then when we get into the believing world, you know, I've got an example up here on the screen of just how these things can play out to particularly attack the, um, particularly attack the believers. 
So what is this example that's easy for us to understand, yet for some people can be very difficult to live out? Um, and what I've got up there is this example of, you know, Christmas, Easter, Halloween, because it speaks very North American. You, know, you imagine from a North American perspective, these are huge, huge traditions. They are huge celebrations, and they grip hold of the environment of how mystery Babylon has manifested itself in the first world wealth. So, so I use these as very easy examples for us as believers to understand. God, here are these just good times and harmless fun, you know. And the question that I pose to people that still don't realize how serious these things are, is it possible that there's a mastermind behind these to get us back to honoring the ancient Babylonian tradition? Because all three of these things are actually grounded or they or will trace back their roots to ancient Babylon. Well, do people believe that's a coincidence? The biggest celebrations in all of North America, thousands of years later, have their roots in the physical manifestation of the ancient traditions of Babylon. You know, if this is not evidence to how real scripture is, to an unbeliever or a believer, I don't know what is. You either can see this or you can't. There is no coincidence of the origin of these things. Now, these might be the modern expressions, Christmas, Easter, Halloween. But if you actually know their journey to these modern expressions, they're rooted in ancient Babylon. And I'm saying to people, this is what Scripture has been warning about, that, that, that there's this mystery Babylon, that there's these spiritual forces at work. Well, how do you think they're going to physically manifest? They've manifested right through the ages. We're going to talk about a little bit particularly about Saturnalia here. And there's a reason why we need to go into this before we continue in this series. Because if people can get this from a believing or unbelieving perspective, they might start to see, well, I can understand the physical, so maybe I can get a bit more of a handle on trying to say that you're just seeing a physical manifestation of something that's much bigger. The Father over and over told Israel that you worship me under a green tree. That was not yeah. a good thing. Yeah. I want to preface this and give this question to the listening audience. Um, what if all of these things were helping to subtly destroy our intimacy or understanding of our actual Messiah and groom? What if the goal of this seductress, this woman, this mystery Babylon, was to lure a bride or a bride-to-be from away from her groom? See, is this truly about spiritual intimacy? And I'm going to raise this as a question because this is where we're going to go in this series. I'm suggesting to you the grand story of this incredible marriage covenant that's playing out throughout the biblical scriptures, and it's all based on an ancient Hebrew marriage covenant, that you've actually got a warning of a woman seductress, this mystery Babylon, who's going to try and seduce those who would wish to be the bride of the groom. So you actually have a woman seducing a woman here, and apparently we're in an intimate relationship with a woman that we shouldn't be because the call of the church is given a female pronoun perspective from the Hebrew. And this is not my analogy. This is the father's analogy. This is the creator's analogy. Is that sobering? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is sobering. And we need to really get this because we're being seduced by her. You know, this is all playing out in the physical. Interesting because the book of Proverbs, that the first seven chapters are, is about, <laughs> How Good. a woman is seduced is seduced. Yeah. And it yeah. is very interesting. That's a symbolic 
teaching that they're trying to show you right there. That right. Production going on. Yeah. 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 Yep, absolutely. She's the um, the head of the the house has gone away during this time. Proverbs that you're you're speaking of, and so it's right. a very incredible thing. And you have to have lay that foundation before you can get wisdom. So I mean, you have to understand those first seven chapters. That's why he explains that first. Yeah, yeah. You're in a seduction. Yeah, yes. you're in a seduction. Yeah, and so this is why I say we're not we don't have to make this up. Let's just be honest with what Scripture is saying. Now, if you don't want to believe what it's saying or seek it in context and look to it, well, then that's fine. That's your prerogative. But what I'm saying is the way that I speak to Scripture and the way that I speak to prophecy, the way I speak to his pattern, the way I speak to is all based on we are in an ancient Hebrew marriage covenant. And it's actually talking about a seduction, and it's coming through. And if we don't have this foundation, of this, and this is why now when you start to understand the Moedims and the appointed times of the Father are all based on Messiah, and they're all based on a groom. And so when you understand now the appointed times are based on a groom, and, and we've got this incredible um, ancient Hebrew marriage covenant playing out, now we can then start to understand maybe the wisdom of how to view or the lens of this. And so something's come to really fog this up because basically we'll stop listening to her if we get this um, in whatever flavor we're currently listening to her under. I've got here in Jeremiah 10 too. Thus says, thus says Yah, learn not the way of the heathen. Okay, so these are ones that are not respecting Elohim's wisdom and ways. They're just clearly not. That's all it's saying. Okay, they're not in that space. And be not dismayed by the signs of heaven. Okay, and he's given the signs of the heaven. He's saying, be not dismayed at these things. Well, of course, we know what they were getting into with their astrology. I'm not talking astronomy. I'm not talking about having a good understanding that the heavens paint this beautiful picture of redemption if we understand the ancient Hebrew Maseroth. What I'm talking about is they're starting to entertain astrology. So good and bad things and all these things can occur. Well, we're actually seeing this creep its way back into both the Christian and as some of the Hebrew Christianity camps because they're going beyond the story of redemption in the stars to actually starting to entertain divination. And when you do that, you've now taken it beyond the space which we should have. And this can lead people into great deception. You remember back in 2017, in September 2017, the rapture was going to happen, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, and all of this stuff that was going on. And, of course, they're looking at the signs in the heaven, which are legit, the blood moons, the the, uh, the great signs of revelation. But then now, now they're now trying to interpret it from a divination perspective. And this leads to many false starting guns misleading people because they're misusing something that is actually biblical. <laughs> and so this is the whole thing she tries to do. Of course, what people will do in the end is throw the baby out with the bathwater. They won't understand that who created the heavens. Well, it wasn't Hasitam who created the heavens. So all of a sudden now they're no longer even interested in looking. And so this is, this is how it plays out. It, it tricks the spiritually young to do this. And we saw this play out in a big way because people believed in this whole pre-trib rapture thing and whatnot. And this has come through dispensationalism. We're going to talk about that in the future program. And it says, so continue on in Jeremiah. Now listen to this. Jeremiah 10, 3, 4. For the customs of the people are vain. They're vain. They have no account. Whatever they're doing is, is it just means nothing. It's all he's saying. When one cuts down a tree out of the forest and the work of the hands 
from the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold and fasten it with nails and with hammers so that it moves not. Now, this is a description that would fit the modern understanding of a Christmas tree. Absolutely. This is is directly being warned about because these are the ancient origins of what would become the practice of Saturnalia coming out of ancient mystery Babylon. Well, Saturnalia was what was mixed or infected with the early church at the time of Constantine and what we've come to know as uh, as Roman Catholicism. Basically, you can do this celebration, but we'll just make it all about Jesus or what would become known as Jesus. Of course, they didn't say Jesus 1,700 years ago. But nonetheless, this is what we've got. And so many Christians have inherited a tradition that mixed Mystery Babylon with trying to uh, remember their Messiah. And so very, very interesting. There's no way around this if you understand the origins of what you're reading in Jeremiah, if you understand what happened to the uh, to the early church in the third century, and if you understand what was being celebrated by the heathen at that time, you would clearly recognize that you're now celebrating at least some of the visual components of Saturnalia, and you've mixed it with your belief in Messiah and the Bible. Has come down through the centuries because Israel did it. Because Jeremiah talks about it in two or three different places. You worship me under a green tree. Well, here's what's interesting. Generally, the tribes of Israel are all entertaining what I just read you now in, in its modern form called Christmas. You see, all of Israel was going to get infected by this stuff. But we love to blame, you know, all it's, you know, the Jewish thing. Or we love to blame the, you know, whatever thing or the drama. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Just understand what it's saying. These are examples for us to know the warnings, understand them, to do it, and how it's going to play out. Christmas should be as it's celebrated visually. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that a lot of the other elements that came with Saturnalia at the time that this was mixed with the early Cahal or the early church, I'm not saying that Christians are doing a lot of those things today. But, but these are the vestiges which tell us what you've been mixed with if that makes sense. It's the physical evidence. We're not here to argue for the Christmas tree. We should be able to see it and go. That's evidence that the Bible's told us the truth. And and the fact that I want to defend that should be even a greater reminder that I'm affected. But instead, we're busy judging one another or trying to condemn one another. I don't, I don't condemn somebody who's celebrating Christmas with no understanding of the conversation we just had today or its historical journey, or its links to Mystery Babylon. I'm not going to sit there in some self-righteous and judge a Christian for celebrating Christmas. What I'm supposed to do is not celebrate it myself. So they may see that and ask me why. And then I can give an account for the hope that is within me, which is exactly what Paul talked about. But instead, we get everybody on their self-righteous horses going out and judging people who don't know any better. Or want to celebrate these things, or they some of their greatest memories are attached to Christmas and their family and things like that, with no respect at all for that you could be tearing down some of the best memories that people have in their lives. That doesn't make it any less of what we've just discussed in the sense of its origins. But for goodness sakes, what are we doing going out and self-righteously bashing people to death because all of a sudden we discover, hey, wait a minute, you know, I was doing it too. And now I've got a right now to go out and self-righteously slam everyone else. And I see this kind of behavior going on in the body from the other side of the river. And I often have to say to a lot of the Hebrew Messianic people, do you not care? You were once there too, or did you pop out of the womb knowing all this stuff? 
What you might want to do is live your life the way you should and stand up to the questioning or the light that you will cast and give an account for why you do it and do it without some self-righteous judgment. Because sometimes it takes people a while to work through these things. I have seen Christians come out of celebrating these things over time and start to take the front of the book serious again because they were given the chance to. Well, I was given the chance to in my walk, in my journey. So if Elohim gave me that chance, why all of a sudden now, man, the way I'm seeing some believers treat other believers right now, they're not giving them any of the amnesty that Elohim gave them. And this, there's very serious warnings about this behavior in the Brit Hadashah of the New Testament. And, and so we need to be very careful. And, and often a lot of this stuff admittedly comes from, I've been lied to, or why didn't anybody tell me? And so then we get angry about it. And, and then we want to tell everybody in excitement, and then they don't want to receive that. And, and so then we end up in arguments with them because they don't want to receive it. Instead, we need to really understand that people have to actually come on a journey out of Mystery Babylon. And best we actually get our own house in order first before we start going around self-righteously judging everyone else. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, for a lot of us that have been on the Christian journey that have started to learn and understand the front of the book does matter, there is a greater picture here that includes both the front and the back. There's a greater covenant here that includes both the front and the back. I would say that most of us initially went through the shock horror of of learning this stuff and finally getting through to us and perhaps maybe not behaving as well as we should have to those who are yet to go on the journey. Would that be fair? That would be fair, yes. And so all I'm saying to those people is, hey, 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 let's just do what we're told to do. Let's get our house in order and become a light. But instead, we're entertaining all of this stuff, which I think is is harmful. Now, we did get into uh, Nimrod and Samarias. Um, we talked a little bit about that. But basically, to give an example of Easter, you know, um, yeah, Ishtar was known as the sex goddess in ancient Babylonian worship and she supposedly under the traditions came in an egg shaped sphere and came from the sky interestingly enough her son Tumaz Tumaz, uh, Tumuz uh, was uh, his favorite animal was a pet rabbit so if you understand what's going on (laughs) you want to understand why Easter has eggs uh, sorry has bunnies laying chocolate eggs and why Easter or Ishtar, um, you know, the English, uh, linking back to this, think no more if you just go and do a little bit of homework in the ancient Babylonian practice. Now, what that was, was that was being practiced at the time. Okay, well, you, you take your Passover, you take your honoring of Messiah, dying and, and raising from the grave again, and let's just wrap it around this thing called Easter or Ishtar. Do you, do you see what I mean? And so all of a sudden now, we've brought in a truth, but we've given the, the wrappings of lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. You know, let's get my chocolate egg. I want more and bigger ones. They're all pretty and full of colors, you know, and I've got more than you. And it's all coming down to the three fiery darts of Hasatan, which he's allowed to do as God of this world. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. And that's all we're seeing play out. It's actually that simple, but it's big. Well established back in in those early thousands of years ago when actually many people don't realize this, but these people were actual kings and queens in Egypt. Oh, yeah. We absolutely know that. And actually, Cush was also, Cush was probably the first king of Egypt. 
And there's a lot of historical references to this. And, and it's been downplayed. And, and these people's bodies are still in Abydos, Egypt. They, they're buried there. And for centuries, people made pilgrimages to see Nimrod and Semiramis, but they were called Isis. And, it, you know, so they had Egyptian names. Yeah, they were actual yeah. real people that governed and they taught their people, you know, this religion. Yeah. I mean, they taught them this religion. And one of the first things they taught them is there's life after death. Yeah. In more oh, yeah. stuff. Oh, I know. I know. There's all sorts of great. I mean, it just goes, the, the list is endless. But yes. every form of religion known on earth has its origins in mystery Babylon or has been absolutely contaminated by her. There is no way around this. You know, again, I'm trying to use a very simple and very in-our-face example from uh, from a North American perspective, so at least it can get people to think. If anybody's listening, they're getting upset right now. Don't get upset because of what I'm saying. Test it. Test it. Go and see for yourself. Because getting upset at me doesn't change where, whether this is truth or untruth. I'm making a statement that what you're practicing or what you may have inherited um, in your particular journey and, and, and the way that you choose to celebrate or worship or praise Elohim has been infected, as warned by Scripture, by something called Mystery Babylon. And its physical origins we historically can go back and trace. So we have the physical evidence of the spiritual warning. Now, if you want to just be upset at me for saying it or for you to, you know, to have a show that's willing to say it, you can do that, but that doesn't make it not so. Being upset with us, Linda, doesn't change what's being said. And so people are so emotional now. They react. They react because their emotionally arrested development is coming through, and it's not a mature perspective wanting to seek truth. It's just, oh, you know, he's not making me feel good. Well, this isn't about how I feel or how you feel and or how any of the listeners feel. If we go down a, a basis of discerning truth and untruth based on feelings, we're in big trouble. Because feelings don't necessarily equal truth. So you as know? this system plays out, and it's, it's going to play out, right? As this system plays out, the stress level on people is incredible. The more you push in that's incorrect teachings, the more stress you're going to be under. Yeah, it's yeah absolutely. The stress and the pain that and that's, comes with the stress. And you see it all around you. People have no peace. No, they have no peace. There is no shalom. And um, it's sitting on both sides of the river, yeah. you know. Um, you know, a lot of the Hebrew roots, Messianic, you know, Judeo camp, they say the word shalom, but they don't have it. It's not operating in their lives. They're not living a spiritual walk, which the out, the outcome of this walk should be shalom. But I don't see that. I see a lot of people operating in anger, in bitterness, in self-righteousness. And this has got to stop. And it can only stop with each of us individually that we may repent um, so that we, we don't keep falling into this silly behavior. Because we're running out of time, and we, we need to be preparing some wedding garments here. And apparently, we're supposed to do that as a body. Well, if we keep acting the way we are, nobody's going to be preparing anything. 
And so we need, we need to get on with getting the fact that no, all of us need to repent. And just because you have some knowledge or think you have some knowledge or you've taken the flying box from Christianity over the Hebrews, Messianic, Judeo movements doesn't mean that you haven't just jumped into a bunch of mystery Babylon on that side. And I'm just why I keep trying to say to people, let's get in the river. We'll talk about that in, in a while. And of course, indeed, what I dedicate my life to and what you're starting to come to understand and in our relationship that that I'm not dedicated to attacking the body. I'm dedicated to helping us get in the river <laughs> so that that we can help each other and love one another. And But if we don't know that we need help, and if we won't admit it from whatever position or denomination that we're in or movement, then ultimately you're only going to be used to further create division and yes, strife within the body. Interesting because it's not about necessarily it's not about all your doctrines it's about your no journey. it's it's relationship you have with the father yeah. that's what it yeah. really goes to that's that's where it goes is it developing the character of messiah yes you know and i just make the point to anyone i don't care what they know or think they know or what they're involved with or not in the body are you comfortable with standing before elohim all righteousness all knowing and going and saying to that Elohim, yes, my doctrine is 100% pure and correct, and I practiced it so. Because if you really, really are, you're saying you're without sin. And according to the Brit Hadashah, those who claim they're without sin do not have light in them. The Holy Spirit, the Ruach, is not present. Now that's sobering. So what excuse do we have then if we make all each other our standard and our own minds the standard? We could end up entertaining more mystery Babylon than we could possibly comprehend and not even have a clue we're doing it. So unless you're comfortable with what I just said, that you're willing to stand in front of Elohim and make that claim, if there's even an ounce of doubt in you, you know, believer or truth seeker, even just an ounce, then take seriously what we're discussing right now. And take seriously, understand why Yeshua was saying to Yehuda first, the ones who actually knew and practiced the Torah 2,000 years ago, repent. That's who he was saying it to first, and then to the scattered tribes. So let's just be very, very clear on this. Again, it's not something we want to admit. And we've got all of this stuff going on. And we it, essentially, in my mind, it, it was robbing for me the process of repentance. Basically, by participating in the game, the Mystery Babylon religious game, was actually robbing me of repentance. And I realized it was my own perspectives, my own leaven, my own self-righteousness that was actually engaging in this, my own pride. And all of a sudden, I wasn't preparing garments. Well, job done. She's done her job. That's what she's here to do, to sift the wheat from the chaff. And so when you wake up in the fires of your life, you start realizing this, and you go, my goodness, I've been stitched at a level that is incomprehensible. And certainly Yeshua would have no reason to provide the first words out of his mouth when he allowed his ministry to be publicly known and understood from a rabbinical or rabbi perspective. Repent. That was not being said to the unbeliever. Because I see Mystery Babylon on both sides of this river as clear as each other. It is just as prevalent and just as obvious to me now 
on both sides of the river. One is not more deceived than the other. And so here we go. And he carried me away in the spirit into, into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. In other words, her spiritual adultery that was being said to the believer. And so this is a spiritual picture on a grand level, but it's giving us physical fingerprints in which to look at something. Purple, scarlet, gold, jewels, pearls. You know, there's things here in, in this analogy or in this vision that is going to give us a little bit of insight to some things. We'll continue on, Revelation 17, 5, 6. And on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes or harlots. In other words, this thing is going to give birth to harlots. And the result of her and of the earth's abominations. It's linking the abominations on earth spiritually directly to the harlots that will be birthed out of Babylon. This seductress is going to breed harlots or prostitutes, and the abominations of the earth are going to be the fruit of her. And I saw the woman... This woman that's referring to drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Yeshua. So the ones who came out of her stood against all of this. Paul was in Yehuda, contaminated in a Jewish Sanhedrin system at the time. He's coming out of, before he comes out of that system, who was he killing? He was killing the blood of Messiah. The, the saints of the planet. Yeah. Now, this is interesting. He's doing that from a believing perspective. Right. This, the examples in Scripture are telling you it can happen within the actual house that's identified the correct Elohim. So this is not to be taken lightly. He literally was a part of this. And so it's saying... John on the island of Patmos, many years later, you know, around 90 AD, is now seeing visions that apparently there is going to be people from these harlots, spiritual harlots, believing harlots, that are actually going to once again, right, and through those 2,000 years, or the last 2,000 years, is going to be a part. Believer is going to kill believer. So in any case, um, I think we can end there. Well, we know that the... Uh that the Pharisees that were living at the time of the Messiah, you know, they would have been representing the the very first seed of this. Yes. And, and, and this a lot was of their spread calling. from them because mm-hmm. the Pharisees, Philo created that Alexander school, and that Alexander school is where most of the Ananicene fathers were educated, right? And so mm. that's where our religious roots come from. Repent of and get a, and back to scripture and not to man's ideas and thoughts. Mm-hmm. Because that's what we've, we've adopted in our churches as man's ideas and thoughts. So mm-hmm. Curtis, thank you so much for coming on with us and it's been great and we'll, we'll continue this series 
So we're going to close for the evening and we're going to say blessings to all and good night. For more information about this broadcast, please visit our website at www.12tribehistory.com. That is the number 12, tribehistory.com, or email us at lwatson44 at cox.net with any questions or comments.